This week on Erotic Awakening, what does Polly look like? Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Or I should say, good morning. Good morning. This is very different for us. Yes, it appears to be about 7 a.m. in the morning as we do this, which is indeed very unusual for Mm -hmm. us. Normally, I am rushing off to the gym at this point and... I'm getting the day started or prepping for school or whatever's going on. But uh, as the schedule is working out, this is our best time to do the podcast today. So now is the time we're doing it. Mm -hmm. As it happens, not too long ago, we were in Washington, D.C., and we happened to run into Min Chapman. And we were just chatting with her, and we found out just in the course of chatting with her. And notice I did not use the word flirting. <laughs> that she just published a book on polyamory, and she's part of the Loving More conference and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, we thought it'd be really interesting to chat with her for a little bit. So we pulled out the microphone. We did. Well, we took her up to the hotel room and then pulled out the microphone. <laughs> and we chatted for about 15 minutes with the mm-hmm. uh, uh with her about her new book right. and about polyamory in general and stuff like that. So that's coming up in a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was good stuff. A lot of people say that they like this this opening banter. That's, the, that's their favorite part. Awesome. I, I hope that's the case because we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> we do. I was surprised. I was looking at all this and, yep, lots to cover. Starting with, apparently you're off to Leather Leadership Conference. I am, and that was a surprise. So um, I don't usually look at conferences and events that we're not presenting at because we have so many that we're doing anyway. But um, this one happened to come up on a weekend that you're going to a Buddhist retreat. So I figured I'd go try it out. It should be a lot of fun for you to to attend as a participant. Mm -hmm. Just one of the nameless faces out there in the crowd learning and getting your education on. Yep, I think it'll be awesome. And I understand that you have a roommate. I do. So am I allowed to say who it is? It's okay with me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I actually get to bunk with Grey Dancer, so from uh, the Rope Cast. Yeah, so that'll be very cool. And uh, and Grey Dancer is always very kind. And I just actually mm-hmm. got a uh, email not too long ago from somebody who said they found us via Rope Cast. So we appreciate uh, Grey Dancer pimping our little podcast. And if you haven't got, if you haven't checked out Rope Cast, as we mentioned not too long ago, it is the uh, granddaddy of many perverted mm-hmm. podcasts. It's one of the, those that have been out there longer than any other. So, yeah. <sighs> Got a feeling he'll be busy and out and about and doing his thing, and so will I. So, lots of um, Cleveland people going and uh, people to hang out with and try new workshops. Should looking be for- a good time. Looking forward to it. Should be a good time. So, uh, because you are a dedicated podcaster, <laughs> my understanding is you and I. You went out and did some field research not long ago. I did. I did over the weekend. Mm. That was the pause while we sip (laughs) on our morning coffee. coffee. (laughs) So that's the difference when you podcast in the morning. So you did some field research on the the topic of swinging. Yes. We've been looking for someone that is 
into swinging that could talk to us. So that's why I went. So you went uh-huh. to work. <laughs> and where did you go? That was not why I went. But um, I went to Indianapolis and uh, hooked up with a friend of mine that we met God, way back at Aeon Days, so mm-hmm. 2004, and decided to go spend some time with her. And I knew that she liked to go to the swing clubs, so I figured if I was going to go by myself, it'd be nice to go with a veteran that could point out the do's and don'ts because the protocol is very different from what I'm used to. And, and that's very true. If you have not been to a swing club and you're you're basic, you're uh, mainly into the BDSM mm-hmm. lifestyle. It is a different kettle of fish. It is. And they try to tell me that, oh, no, 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 because no means no in both environments. And the way I explain it is, uh, that is very true. But in a BDSM environment, no means you assume it's going to be no, so you ask permission. In a swing environment, they go ahead and do something until you say no. So it's like they automatically think it's going to be a yes. But mm-hmm. there's still protocol and there's still politeness. It's just the view that they look at it with. It does work out a little. It does work a little differently, no mm-hmm. doubt about that. And, mm-hmm. and did you say no? Oh, actually, I said no to a couple of people, <laughs> just not everyone. <laughs> I see. I see. The whole field research thing. I had to, to see how it worked. <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind of. Had to check out his microphone joke like in here that. somewhere. I'm just like, though, though, the funny thing is, is I do have his contact information and he is willing to come on the show and talk about the swinging lifestyle. Are you sure he didn't say that just to get between your legs? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to think about that one because I didn't get his contact information till later. <laughs> We're going to have to add that to the flirting class. Yeah, baby, I'll come on your podcast show. Let me show you what I have to talk about. Speaking of classes, we have a, a class that we, we just did in Chicago not long ago called Talking Naughty. And it was uh, very well received, and we got a lot of compliments on mm-hmm. it. And, and it was a ball to do. It was, oh, it was so a, much was. fun. It was a blast. Um, and I had... A fellow asked me to eat his pussy as part of the class. And, uh, <laughs> it was just a... <laughs> all kinds of interesting things like that. So what we were thinking, though, is that the the name of the class itself, which I think we're calling right now, we're calling it Talk, Talk Naughty, Naughty. Mm-hmm. may not be a great name. No, there might be something else that we could use, and it's just not coming to us. So we thought we would throw this out to podcast land. If you would like to rename that, come up with a name for us for the Talk Naughty presentation. And if you need a little um, inspiration, you could go out to Erotic Awakening, go to the presentations, and you'll see the the list of presentations we do. You'll find Talk Naughty and Mm -hmm. how we describe what it's about. Um, But we're not so sure we like that name. So if you have a new name for that presentation and would like to share that idea with us, we would be happy to... Take your, idea <laughs> Take your idea and use it for our presentation. So, and give you credit on the air. Absolutely, give you credit on the air. And if there's something else that uh, we can do, our uh, our uh, prize locker is currently mostly bare, but we'll scrounge around and see what we have in we'll there. We'll come up with something. I'm sure we can come up with something. I was poking around on the internet the other day. Ooh. <laughs> Get on there on occasion. <laughs> and... Um, and actually, this it came as a result of one of our uh, one of our listeners made a comment about one of our shows. So for whatever reason, I was clicking around at their link, and um, 
they actually do some leather work and they, they call their leather working situation beastly leather. Ooh. This is some really nice stuff that I went yeah. out there and was checking out. The guy does some wallets and belt buckles and coffee cozies. Nice. And by the way, I want one of the coffee cozies for Christmas. Okay. Or whatever holiday we choose to celebrate this year. What's I mean, There's got to be a holiday closer to Chris, than Christmas. Uh, well, Easter's coming up on Sunday. <laughs> well, you know how I feel. <laughs> you know my deep dedication to the, the Easter way. <laughs> well, we could go May Day then. That's coming up. Beltane. Ooh. Beltane it is. Regardless, I want a fucking coffee coaster. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> Rationalize it any way you want to buy it, the damn thing for me. Anyway, um, so I spoke to the guy, and if you could say the name for me. Oh, it looks like Brodhisattva. 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 It almost looks... <laughs> yeah, kind of like Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva yeah, that's but, what it looks like. Uh, anyway, I messaged him, and I said, hey, do you mind if I mention your leather work on the podcast? And mm-hmm. he said he'd be ha- more than happy to have us mention his leather work. And for that matter, he said that uh, anyone that messages me saying that EA sent them, that's Erotic Awakening, not mm. Electronic Arts, <laughs> will get <laughs> will get free domestic shipping on anything I sell. Uh, now, this guy is not a high-power merchant, and he's just a craftsman selling his leatherwork. So you just have to toss him a little message and say, hey, I heard about you on Erotic Awakening. I want my damn free shipping. <laughs> really nice stuff that he's got out there, though, and... Um, I'll put a I'll put a uh, a link on our website as well as a picture of the BDSM belt buckle, which I'm rather taken nice. with, and some of the other stuff. That's a really nice man bag too. A man bag. Yes. Ooh, that actually come in handy at events. Yeah, it actually would, and it's a very <laughs> it's a very manly looking man bag. Okay. So I don't think people would confuse it with a purse, especially even with my long hair. <laughs> um, he'd also made a comment something about wanting a celebrity pimp. And I just <laughs> that's good. Almost choked on the coffee. Almost with choked that on one. the coffee. This is why we don't do this at seven a.m. in the morning. Apparently, it's very dangerous. Um, mm. So I thought that was very. Uh, it's very easy to flatter me. Apparently, celebrity pimp is yes. all you need to flatter me. So go check out Beastly Leather. Um, so that's that. That's that. And then I think one of the other. A few other things that I wanted to mention was uh, a while ago we'd been talking about uh, a scene that we saw at Dark Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And this was a scene where, and again, I don't know if I can explain it in such a way that it makes sense. Oh, is this the balloon one? This is the balloon okay. one. So All you right. try and explain it in a way that makes sense. All right. So um, what we saw was her sitting on a chair beside the escalators. And they were stapling and pinning balloons to her body. So, and that was just, I have never seen anything like that before. I've seen needle play. I've seen staple play. I've seen, but it's never involved balloons. So, you know, so we watched them cover her body and they ended up writing us back. We wrote them and said, so what were you doing? So what they said is they were stapling and super gluing a package of balloons on ribbons, feathers, pom-poms, and bells to one of the people. And then took them, this person all covered in balloons and took her to the main dungeon and invited everyone to pop them. And they had people popping them with knives and fire and Wartenberg wheels. Beard stubble. Yes. Man, that must be a hellacious beard stubble <laughs> to pop a balloon. How do you like that rubbing on your puss? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Single tail whip canes, all the different ways to pop the balloons that were on are just really interesting looking scene. So again, we've been around for 
a little while at this point and to see somebody covered in balloons mm -hmm. and have them pop like so, that. So, so you're very creative. How would you have popped her balloon? I would have popped her balloon by shoving my cock in her throat until she expanded. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that would work, actually, but I would have I popped it from the inside. Yeah, I don't know. You're staring off into space like, this is actually possible. I think I could do this. <laughs> I, I really don't think it's possible. I think I'm full of shit. Okay. I probably would have been all shy and giggly like a schoolgirl. And... <laughs> no, I can't do that. So that's the past. That's uh, recently stuff going on. Well, and I actually had something else just happen recently, and that was uh, the workshop that I did last night. Oh, you did do a workshop mm -hmm. last night. I did a local workshop, and it was on Intro to Sacred Sexuality, and um, had all women show up. Not that it wasn't open to men, but it just seemed that it was women that sh showed up, and we did it in a ritualistic manner. You know, we had the incense and all that type of stuff going, and had a lot of fun with that. Good. Awesome. I think it's it's important to, a lot of times we talk about sex, and like with the balloon stuff, it's just good fun, mm -hmm. and we've done shows on that, and, and we actually get a lot of value out of ritualized sacred sexuality, and um, it's great that you're bringing that message to people that may not be involved in the kink community, or, or they may be, they are, but the opportunity to see that there's an uh, there's the aspect that's not just spanking and flogging and all that. Right, right. And they totally enjoy it. They they love that deeper aspect of talking about that stuff. The, the only other thing I want to mention this morning is that when you and I first got started in this lifestyle, um, just about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. there was uh, a group that was just getting started. And that group Ooh. was called the Sterling Shadow Club. I was going to say, there was a couple of groups that kind of got started at the same time. But yeah, Sterling Shadow Club. So uh, as you may remember, a lot of these mm -hmm. groups have come and gone yep. in our area. Yep. But the, uh, the Sterling Shadow Club has been around for 10 years. And they decided to throw a 10-year anniversary. And they're actually having Yay. an event. So I say, why would anyone come to this week-long event? Why would they? There's well, lots of events going on. Why choose that event? Well, they say because they have a full package of amazing activities, starting with a meet and greet on Friday night, followed by a fabulous play party, going on into breakfast, which, by the way, is very important, mm -hmm. <laughs> as I know from a 7 a.m. podcast, <laughs> on Saturday morning, then t I think it's up to 12 workshops. They, he was six, and they just keep expanding. Right. And then on uh, Saturday night, they're going to have a short program celebrating their 10th anniversary, and then a great big play party. So there's two play parties. Um, even late checkout on Sunday. Awesome. And, oh. and the rates are all pretty reasonable, too. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the prices are at this particular moment, because depending on when you go check it out. Right, right. The, the prices change. So, But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome event for the value, I think. We're going. <laughs> we, are, we are going. We are presenting Sensual Humiliation. Mm -hmm. And running Scarlet Sanctuary with Karen. Yep. Uh, so this is going to be a great uh, time, and that's in Dayton, Ohio area. Right. So, awesome. Should be a good time. So that's what we got going on. Um, so if you would like to tell us a new name for the Talk Naughty Workshop, ask us about where how I would really pop a balloon, <laughs> offer me something else to pop. Nice. 
or anything else. There's a variety of ways to get a hold of us. There is. Um, let's see. And we, we have email at dananddawn at eroticawakening.com. We have the new got comment form on the web page. And at this point, you cannot be the first person to use it. <gasps> because someone did write something. They did. And we'll talk about that next week. Okay. We still have the voicemail, 206-309-0054. A FetLife group called Erotic Awakening. And Twitter, Dan and Dawn. Somebody asked me not too long ago how long I've been poly. Mm-hmm. And my immediate thought was to say, well, you and I have been together for 10 years. We went into our relationship deciding that we were not going to have a monogamous relationship. Right. So I should say 10 years. Yeah. My second thought was to say, well, I've had a successful poly relationship and a, 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 a successful additional person in my life mm-hmm. for three years. Mm-hmm. So I should say three years. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but what about the seven years where we kept trying, right? So do you right. don't just discount that. No, I don't discount that at all. Nor do I say that those relationships were necessarily unsuccessful just because they ended. Right. Um, my slave Carmen, mm-hmm. who we had for quite some time, I would certainly consider that a polyamorous relationship, and it was successful. Absolutely. And we could go on and on, and I don't want to, uh, you know, run through the gamut of people. There's only two more. <laughs> I don't think two more people is a gamut, but no. regardless, I don't know how you define how long you've been poly. And this goes back, we just did uh, an MS chat here at the house and people were saying, well, how long have you been, how long have you known you're kinky? And it's really interesting. Right. There's a, the, I don't know, what, how do you measure that? I don't know that you can measure it because I think there's, like you said, time that you've actually tried to live it time that you have had a successful relationship but I think it's more of a thought process you know I think it's more how you think about relationships because even though I struggle with it a little bit more you know the the concept of of bringing it and actually living it you know I've thought about it for a long time and loved the idea of it so you know how do you kind of break that down and the interesting aspect is that, you know, and that's what uh, this Min Chapman that we spoke to, you know, we talked, mm-hmm. she talks a lot about the, not just, you know, what is polyamory, but these diverse patterns, these diverse types of relationships within polyamory. And, you know, I remember uh, she spoke a little bit about how some people are in a relationship and they're looking for that third, right? right. They're looking for that person who's compatible with both of them. Right. Uh, and you and I did that for a while. We did. We did do that for a while. And you would think that would be the easiest route to go, but um, it's actually kind of hard trying to find a third person that's compatible with two other people. <laughs> yes. Uh, someone had mentioned to me the the CollarMe.com forums mm-hmm. were good message boards. And, and so far, I have not found much agreement to that. <laughs> But I did see that, you know, someone had mentioned that unicorn chasing on there today, you know, trying to find that compatible third. Right, right. So, and I mean, some people it it works for and, you know, who knows? You stay open to it, that person might exist, but... Well, we we know people that have found that Mm -hmm. person, right? We know uh, people that we're going to have dinner with tomorrow 
Knights had uh, yeah. that person for a while, had to move mm-hmm. in. They were part of the family, part of raising the children and all that kind of stuff. And that worked out well for them for a while. Um, as a matter of fact, you were the one that did their hand fasting, I, I was. recall correctly. I was. That was a while ago. So, so we've certainly seen many situations where a, a primary couple, and regardless of how you feel about these terms, primary, secondary, and the hierarchical, the hierarchical wording. <laughs> we'll use that for the moment. So the primary couple brings in this extra person, and that works for them sometimes. Our, but another type of breakout of mm-hmm. polyamory is what we are currently doing, where you have a boyfriend off that way, right. and I have a girlfriend off this way, and trying to find that, you know, you, you, you can't say that they're separate relationships. Right. Because what... Karen does affects you, even mm-hmm. though you're not primarily in that relationship with her. Right. Um, it all is connected, or at least we believe it should be. Now, mm-hmm. I seem to recall that speaking to someone not too long ago, I said, oh, no, no, those, those are unrelated things. What mm-hmm. I do away from your relationships got nothing to do with you. I, I just, I, yeah, I just don't see it that way because to me, anything that affects you and what she does affects you and anything that affects you also affects me in some manner, you know, even if it's not directly. Same with me and my boyfriend. You know, what we do together affects me, therefore affects you. Mm-hmm. And finding those ways of defining these relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Now, part of me is not a big fan of definitions and defining relationships, but it's kind of it's important to do. And when we look at the relationship that I have with Karen, for example, you know, I, I think it's it's been three years. We've done a commitment ceremony. We work, um, you know, the three of us do the Scarlet Sanctuary together. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little minimizing, for lack of a better word, to say she's my girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? But on the other hand, what word do you use? And, and does that word define a role? So if I say that Marty is your boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, do you look at that and say, how much weight does that carry? We've been together for this long. We have this level of emotional commitment. We have these shared responsibilities, you know? Yeah. For me, I don't give a lot of power to the label. I mean, I know it's a word that needs to be used just so that we have a vocabulary mm-hmm. to to talk about the relationship and stuff. But... um. I don't give it a lot of weight. It just is what it is. Yeah. Well, fortunately, Min Chapman has spoke a lot about the different um, patterns and the, mm-hmm. some of this language. And uh, we had about a 15-minute conversation with her. And let's hear what she has to say. We are sitting tonight in the middle of a beautiful hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. We're here for an event, and we were just down in the... <laughs> dungeon area. We're dungeon in the below basement. <laughs> the below basement in the dungeon area, walking around, meeting people, and we happen to run into Mim Chapman. Mim, my understanding is you have a brand new book on polyamory. Yes, just uh, submitted to the publisher last week. And that book is named? It's called What Does Polyamory Look Like? And the subtitle is Polydiverse Patterns of Loving and Living in Moly- Modern Polyamorous Relationships. It's a lot of title. <laughs> yes. Well, it's really, what does polyamory look like? <laughs> so, my understanding is you just, I think it was just a few weeks ago, last week, you just were at Poly Living doing some teaching there. Yes. And what does the poly community look like right now? 
Well, what's exciting about it is we're a fast-growing community and we're really kind of becoming mainstream. There were like 25 different articles about polyamory just in the last month, as far away as in South America. A new term came out in a newspaper down in South America. Uh, instead of nuclear families, we're molecular families. Yeah. And I like yeah, that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I tend to think of uh, polyamory, I mean, we're certainly not anything new. Right. Um, you know, when, Loving More Than One has been around for a long time, and as I point out in my book, even the three main Western religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, came from a poly triad, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Now, I don't hear many sermons preached on that subject, <laughs> but it's true, and so polyamory families of more than one have been around for a long time, and really the only radical thing about polyamory is the honesty part. And uh, that's the, the thing that, that I think is so positive, because living in the closet or living in dishonesty just isn't much fun, and it certainly isn't very healthy. Give us a little bit of background on MIM. How, what gives you the qualifications to talk about polyamory? Well, personally, um, I've been poly myself since way before the term was invented. If there's such a thing as genetically polyamorous, it would be me. Um, and uh, so I've lived the poly lifestyle. I've never been monogamous. I think I might try it sometime. I think I ought to try everything sometime. Just hasn't happened yet. Um, I mean, I do have a few alphabet soup credentials. I have a, a PhD in education and a, a second master's in counseling. So I've done, uh, and I've done a lot of work in cross-cultural studies. And the polyamorous culture, to some extent, I look at as a fascinating culture mm -hmm. that is a subculture but is really having a lot of influence on the, the major culture. And it's also interesting that it is, you know, we don't hear a lot about polyamory in the rest of the world. We hear a lot about polygamy, one man with several wives. I was in Tibet last year and in the Himalayas and polyandry where one woman has several husbands is still very alive and well and has been for centuries. It exists even back in Hindu scriptures. And so, you know, these are ancient forms of loving and living and it's exciting to see people finding each other through the internet. Now, give us, for some of our listeners who are a little less familiar with polyamory, uh, are those Mormons? Are they polyamorous? Well, Mormons are polygamous. And uh, polygamy generally means that one man can have several wives, and usually it is not an egalitarian setup. It's uh, and polyamory is basically it can be two women, three men, it can be any any gender variety, and generally it's based on an egalitarian kind of a relationship, not mm -hmm. one where one single gender person owns and has power over the others. And the other thing, the thing that I really focused on in my book, a lot of books about polyamory say, well, polyamory is loving more than one person. Right. And then they say, well, ooh, sounds interesting, but how does that actually work? You know, we have lots of models of what one man and one woman look like, mm -hmm. but what's this look like? And some books say, well, every poly relationship is a designer relationship. But that still doesn't ha help the 
you know, the young couple like yourselves who are saying, hmm, what would it look like if we brought a third person into our family or a fourth, mm -hmm. uh, quite picture the dynamics of the relationship. So what I tried to look at is I looked at five different sort of models that I'm seeing emerging in the poly community and describe each one of them. And with each one, what I see is the benefits, the challenges, uh, the kind of contract and negotiation issues you have, the, uh, the etiquette, how you behave within it, and how they can morph into and out of other models. And I'm hoping that it'll help uh, people that don't really understand poly, understand poly better and say, oh, I get it. Okay, I can I get a picture of it now. Right. It's kind of like if you go to a car lot and you say, I want a car, and the car dealer says, what do you want? One person says, oh, I'm thinking of a Ferrari, and the other person saying, oh, well, you know, I was really thinking of a Dodge van. Well, you know, you can agree you want a car, but if one person's thinking Ferrari and the other mm -hmm. person's thinking Dodge van, you haven't really thought out yet, what model are you looking for? So that's the goal of my book is to help people think out and have a vocabulary for what model of polyamory relationship they really dream of and would like to have. It, it sounds like you're, you're attacking the, the idea of, and you know, in a polyamorous community, when somebody says, oh, what, what do I have to do to be successful? Everyone says, well, communicate, communicate, communicate. But nobody really talks about what that means. I mean, Don and I communicate all the time, but that doesn't necessarily teach us how to communicate successfully. Especially on specific subjects that are very emotional. I mean, some of this stuff can be very emotional, so how we communicate on one level doesn't always cross over to another level, so and it's, it's hard to figure that out sometimes. Mm -hmm. and, and you're exactly right, and our traditional society doesn't give us a lot of role models for how do I bring my new girlfriend home mm -hmm. and introduce her to my wife? How do, my, how do the two of us choose a new person to join our family? Mm -hmm. We know how to, you know, I catch your eye across the room, she <laughs> smiles, I smile, I ask her for coffee. You know, we know how to do pair dating. Well, try doing a pair of us walking up to someone, you know, and then Dan saying, hi, uh, first of all, I find you very attractive, and this is my wife. You know, so you know, <laughs> you know, just learning how to communicate like that and, and make contact with people. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, it's a whole new <laughs> world, and and you know, that's why it's been easier to say, mm, well, I have a wife, but I don't think I'll tell you about her, and if she finds mm -hmm. out, there'll be hell to pay. But then that just doesn't build a harmonious, long-lasting triad between three loving people. And so learning how to do that. Another thing that we're not taught is, you know, you've just come home from a hot date with a shiny new love object. How do you come home to your loving wife and tell her about your date with your shiny new love object? That can be one of the hottest times in a poly family, and it can be a disaster. Sure. And so that's really part of the behavior that we need to learn as non-monogamous people, as people that don't equate love with ownership. That we see love as a renewable resource, mm -hmm. that 
I don't, you know, you know, we're sort of taught, I'm given exactly one cup of love, and if I give a spoonful of it to you, that's one less spoonful that I have for you. And those of us that, that feel when I see you and you, who I both care for, really sharing joy with each other, that brings joy to me. That's a word that in the poly world we call compersion, that, mm -hmm. that seeing two people I love, sharing love with each other, brings love and joy to me. But they're behaviors that we have to find new ways of talking oh. about and acting on. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and models of it, because sometimes, you know, when you come from a monogamous society, it's like ingrained in you sometimes, you know, for me anyway. You know, so you've got this place where you want to go, but you got this stuff, you know, that's kind of ingrained in you. And when the compersion happens, it's like by accident. And it's like, oh, that's what that is. That's so cool. <laughs> and the next time around, it's like, where did it go? <laughs> so, let me ask you one more question then, if you don't mind. Of course. Is compersion something that can be taught? Or is it one of those things you either got it or you don't? Oh, I believe it is a learned skill like, uh, like, you know, like learning the the foxtrot or the waltz or the you know samba. It is a skill, and uh, first you have to want it. Mm -hmm. You have to have the belief set. You know, we're taught that jealousy proves that I love you. Well, jealousy proves that I'm insecure, or <laughs> that I'm grasping, or that I'm envious, or that I. Uh, I'm scared shitless that you might find somebody else as wonderful as I am. I know there's lots of people as wonderful as I am. And so, and even more wonderful. <laughs> and so, first, it comes from a belief that I'm not going to lose you and that I want to share love. Mm -hmm. And then the scale can be developed. I think the other thing is that if I love you, I need to have the words to share my dream with you. And that's one of the other focuses of my book, that okay. two different, just to say, I'm Polly. Oh, we, that means we want the same thing. Isn't necessarily that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you may want sort of like the old fashioned open marriage that, you know, Okay, we're married, but you know, three nights a week you can go out and date different people, and those same three nights I'll go out and date different people, and I don't want to know them, and you don't want to so forth. In other words, I call that kind of me poly. Me gets to meet me needs, and you gets to meet you needs, and we're each going to go on our own way. I call that porcupine poly, like we're two little loving porcupines with little pear quills going out in different <laughs> directions. Mm -hmm. Or we may say, you know, we really want we poly. We want to find another person to come and that we'll jointly pick them to come join our family. Somebody that meets your needs and my needs and her needs. Oh, and then we'll go pick another person. And those are both poly. And they're both wonderful ways to work relationships. But they're, they're very different in their dynamics and they have different etiquette. You know, if we're doing a plural pair poly, you know, porcupine poly, I don't need to know who you take out, and you don't need to ask my permission, and, and it doesn't matter whether I like her or not, or him or not, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're doing sort of, we do our own thing, and that is really a cool way of doing poly. It's just different from we're going to pull other people into our family, mm -hmm. and so we haven't really had a vocabulary for describing those different dynamics within poly families, and that's part of what I wanted to do, to just help non-poly people or people who haven't tried it say, oh, 
all right, that's how it works. I get it. And to help us, those of us who are poly, have words so that when you and I meet each other, we say, oh, we're poly. Wow. Do we have the same dream? Might we fit together? <laughs> nice. Very neat. Very neat. So where can I find out more about the book? Well, it's in the process of being printed now. It'll be available. Um, you can get it on my website. Uh, my name is Mim, and my uh, website is mimco.org. And it'll also be on Amazon, and it'll be available in iBook or Kindle probably uh, in a couple of months, by summer. By the time you go to the beach and want something to read with your sweeties as you're sitting on the beach, uh, What Does Polyamory Look Like will be available uh, in print and in electronic form and from mimco.org website. Great. And I hope you'll Great. read it and Absolutely. give it to all your poly and non-poly friends. Oh, and I'm also creating a curriculum to go with the book. Oh. I'm, on the, I'm, I'm an officer of Unitarian Universalist for Polyamory Awareness, and I was asked to create a curriculum for our churches to use so that we could understand poly families and be more welcoming of them. So oh, if you're a part of a group that wants to learn more about poly, I've created kind of a interactive, you get up and you move around kind of curriculum. Uh, to go with it. Very cool, very nice. cool. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you today, Mim. I hope the book does fantastic for you, and I hope we see you at more of these great events. Well, thank you so much, and I hope that this makes uh, the whole world a little bit more loving, understanding, and accepting of diversity. I hope so as well. <laughs> let's get started by, let me introduce you to my wife. Honey, here's the new shiny. Oh. <laughs>